Good day to you, and welcome to Fascinating. I am your host, Rick, from Planet Vulcan. A listener asks, your staff of contributing editors, are they also Vulcans? The answer is no, they are Earthlings. Contributing editor Bitta Bienvenu submits the following about a curiously powerful and persistent meme in Western civilization. Recently, my morning crossword puzzle had an item for which the correct answer was mine, with the clue being what a selfish child says. As of this writing, there's a general agreement in American culture, though not in all of Earth's cultures, that selfish behavior is as bad as bad can be, and that parents must go to extraordinary lengths to combat the blight of selfishness when it manifests in their children. People who hold this belief cling to it with astonishing tenacity. If you are among these tenacious people, please do not rush to judgment over what I am about to say. Do not virtually all children say mine. Rarely is there a child born who does not learn the word mine soon after it learns the word mama. As the child begins to be aware that it has a separate identity, by nature it wants to lay claim to stuff, to establish for itself the right to use the stuff, and or to prevent a sibling from using it, every bit as much as it wants to lay claim to attention from its parents. Children, of course, err consistently on the side of claiming more than they legitimately should, and collectively more than there is to go around whether it be stuff or parental attention. But that's probably a good thing when a child is just beginning to learn. I would be concerned about a child who started out erring in the opposite direction. Why do we uncritically accept the idea that this innate behavior is bad and that the tendency must be cured? And even if most of us no longer try to beat this badness out of our kids, we still shower them with unceasing admonishments to share what the kid believes to be rightfully theirs. The belief among adults seems to be that with persistent conditioning, the child will eventually overcome its natural impulses and realize that such impulses are not compatible with human morality. And if you have been around kids who have been showered with admonitions to share, you have to have noticed that they are more likely to use the principle of sharing to gain access to other kids' stuff than to share their own stuff. Quite an impressive feat, really, for such a new brain to turn it around like that. And how many times, after all, after our children grow up, will they be faced with a situation where sharing is called for? Sometimes, certainly, examples being when people are hit by natural disasters or just bad luck. But how much more often will our progeny be faced with a situation where taking turns is called for? Many times, on the typical day. In daily life, when the turn is your mind, you take it. When the turn is someone else's mind, you don't take it. Think waiting at red lights right-of-way not mine. Going on green lights, right-of-way mine. At the supermarket checkout lane, you get in line at the end, unless you're a total jerk and you don't mind risking an ass-whipping. 
because the people who joined the line before you are entitled to take their turn before you are entitled to take your turn. The turn becomes someone's mind based on the rule that joining the line sooner gives you greater priority than joining the line later. The turn becomes your mind when you get to the head of the line by having paid the price of waiting. So in practice, and many times for each of us on a typical day, does not the much maligned concept of mind in practice turn out to be the basis of peaceful social cooperation? Would it not be better for the sake of our children and for the sake of our civilization for us to accept a child's natural inclination to think and say mine and to use this tendency instead of fighting it? Wouldn't our efforts be better directed towards helping the child learn to discern the proper boundary between mine and not mine? True maturity comes to them as they come to realize that other people also have their mind and that we are all equal in this respect. Most children, most of the time, clearly signal displeasure at being forced to share their mind, and I, for one, believe that their behavior evinces a basic wisdom that is missing from the words of the adults who are supposed to be training them. What kids really end up learning by observing what adults do and ignoring what they say, as opposed to what we believe we are teaching them, is that when they become adults, they will have to pretend to believe one thing while practicing something else. On several occasions, I have ventured to express aloud the notion that selfishness can be the foundation of cooperation. Most of the time, this has earned me a knee-jerk response of outrage, and on occasion, instant vilification. How can you say that doing things for yourself without, without regard to the rights of others is cooperative behavior? Well, if that is the definition of selfishness that you are going with, you're right. But how about doing things for yourself with regard to the rights of others? My colleague Prego Denata relates to me that when he was a kid in Bible camp, he was taught that the recipe for J-O-Y was to put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And it seems, at least in American culture, that even if Jesus is not your guy, most of us say we believe that putting others first is a moral duty, even though it's impossible to imagine actually living one's life in accordance with this recipe. The only thing that saves the day is hypocrisy. I cannot help but wonder how people who sincerely and deeply believe in putting others first react when they board an airplane and the flight attendant announces that if there's a loss of cabin pressure, they must put on their own oxygen mask before attempting to help others. Do they say to themselves that would be selfish and resolve not to do it if the situation arises? And what about sharing? You and I and most people seem to believe that sharing is not just the right thing to do, at least when the situation calls for it, but that one derives pleasure from seeing the positive results of one's benevolence. We should ask, where did this desire to be benevolent come from? Was it that when we were children it was deeply ingrained in us by conditioning from adults? I cannot convince myself that this is the full explanation or even the primary one. 
from personal experience and from hearing the experience of others, I believe we want to help others who are in unfortunate circumstances because it gives us a good feeling. We empathize with them, and it makes us happy when we see them being helped. This observation supports the hypothesis that wanting to help others is an evolved trait of human nature, a feature of genetic memory, just the same as is the impulse towards ownership. It just doesn't have to be only one or only the other, as so many people seem to believe, both the people who believe selfishness is evil and those who believe altruism is evil. These impulses can and do exist side by side. Evolution is messy. Final thought, when it comes right down to it, isn't taking turns itself no more or less than a method of sharing. And if that's the case, and if you are a committed sharer, you don't have to worry about betraying your deepest self when you recognize that taking turns is often a more efficient and socially beneficial way of sharing than giving away what is yours or of having it taken from you. Thanks to Bitta for this thoughtful essay. Nurslings are truly fascinating. Be sure to have a listen to the next installment. Please provide feedback to these podcasts if you are so inclined. You may contact me by sending an email to our senior contributing editor, Prego Denada. Prego Denada at gmail.com. Live long and prosper.